I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's time for another Friday Roundtable Extravaganza. And joining me today are two first-time guests. Uh, first up, editor-in-chief of Upward News, Ari David, and the host of the Hoop Chat podcast, Emily Austin. Ari, Emily, I've wanted to have you guys on for a while. How you doing? Good. Thank you for having us. Me. All right, let's dive right into it. Uh, we're just going to recap some of the craziness uh, of the week. And, of course, we've got the... Uh, the big Iowa caucus coming up on Monday. Maybe I'll ask for some predictions at the end of the show. Uh, I would say the zaniest thing that happened this week is that South Africa, which is uh, sort of, I would say, in common cause or has had some history of actual apartheid, uh, they are bringing a trial in the International Court of Justice or something like that. It's a clown court. That's what you really need to know. Uh, against Israel, uh, let's take a look at uh, some of the beginnings of the hearing. Israel has a genocidal intent against the Palestinians in Gaza. That is evident from the way in which Israel's military attack is being conducted, which has been described by Ms. Hassim S.C. It is systematic in its character and form. The mass displacement of the population of Gaza headed into areas where they continue to be killed and the deliberate creation of conditions that, quote, lead to a slow death, unquote. There is also the clear pattern of conduct, the targeting of family homes and civilian infrastructure, laying waste to vast areas of Gaza, and the bombing, shelling, and sniping of men, women, and children where they stand, the destruction of the health infrastructure, and lack of access to humanitarian assistance. So much so that as we stand today, 1% of the Palestinian population in Gaza has been systematically decimated. And one in four Gazans have been injured since 7 October. These two elements alone are capable of evidencing Israel's genocidal intent in relation to the whole or part of the Palestinian population in Gaza. Emily, I will uh, let you say it a little more cleanly, but everything that that buffoon just said either was a lie or a complete distortion. There's a, car there's a war going on. They're still firing rockets into Israel. They've got, you know, 100 plus uh, hostages. Uh, Israel's dropping leaflets telling people to leave. Like, just it was all epic bullshit. The idea that South Africa is bringing this charge to this clown court, I mean, the whole freaking thing. Can you just talk a little bit first, though, about how you got involved in Israel adv advocacy? Because you're thought of as a, as a sports chick, but you've become a huge voice in, in defending Israel uh, since October 7th. Yeah, I mean, of course, I defend Israel because not only am I a Jew, but I'm a human being, first and foremost. And when there's a country that's consistently being attacked and their existence is constantly being threatened, of course, I believe they have the right to defend themselves. Now, what I did not expect was this little reminder to the world. October 7th was the worst thing that has happened, at least as far as I've been alive. And it's, a, it's insane to me that instead of the entire world coming together to condemn a terrorist group that just slaughtered, dismembered, raped and burnt people alive and then took civilians as hostages, instead of condemning them, the world is now siding with them 
and arguing basically they have feelings too, and now um, categorizing them as freedom fighters. So why have I become an Israel advocate? Because it's mind-boggling to me that anyone could stand against Israel. So what I'm trying to do is share the truth. Now, in regard to this stupid idiot whose name I don't even know from South Africa, he's contradicted himself so many times within his own speech. He said Israel's mass displacing Gazans with intention of genocide. If Israel didn't care about the Gazans' lives, mm. let me tell you something. We wouldn't bother displacing them anywhere because they would just be collateral damage in all of their airstrikes and killing Hamas. So, A, that was the first stupidity that came out of his mouth. B, you can't say that Israel has genocide. Sorry, my AirPods are falling out because my ears are <laughs> tiny. <laughs> it's um, all good. <laughs> Make note she has listen, tiny ears for next time she's on the show. We'll ears, have that taken guys. care of. South Africa is becoming the present day country that's sided with Nazi Germany in World War II. They have now chosen to be on the side of evil with a very little understanding clearly that it starts with the Jews, it starts with Israel, but it doesn't end there. Because a terrorist group, when they say kill all the infidels, why don't you believe them? Israel is an example of what they plan to do to the rest of the world. And if Israel doesn't take care of it, I can reassure you it'll be your problem next. So to bother them in defending themselves and not protecting their right to exist, you're going to hurt yourself in the long run because Israel is the only thing protecting democracy in the Middle East. You lose that, you're screwed. I can promise. All right, we'll let you work on the headphone for a second. Ari, my position is that Israel shouldn't even be at this clown court, these international courts of justice. Like they're just, they're just nothing. They're made up nonsense. And that this is still in the middle of a war. It's not like after the war where everyone can look back and go, okay, were mistakes made here and there. Uh, it's just a complete clown show. Do you think that Israel should even bother defending themselves at this thing? Because in a weird way, it adds legitimacy to something that's totally illegitimate. Yeah, well, for some reason, a lot of people around the world think that South Africa has some kind of uh, moral high ground that we should be looking at, when really we should be listening to South Africa the same way we would be listening to a country like North Korea talk about the situation uh, in Gaza. And for example, I mean, right now, South Africa is nearing a failed state. Uh, it is pretty much a DEI regime on steroids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If your farm in South Africa is too white, they won't let you sell your products out of the country. Uh, there's corruption to the max there where hospitals and schools uh, for years have been having their electricity shut off because uh, the people that are in power, and it's a one state party there, have not been able to take over and uh, pretty much be competent in ruling over South Africa. And so for Israel, which really, if you look at, if anyone who's been in Israel understands that at least what's going on in Israel, it's a normal country and it's functioning very well. And uh, South Africa is quite the opposite. So no, I don't think really anybody should be listening or taking South Africa uh, honestly here. Yeah, and by the way, I, I think- Dave, I wanna add one more point. If sure. you were silent and not condemning Hamas very strongly and hoping that they become eradicated on October 7th, then you best shut your mouth when Israel defends itself. And people, I, I, I emphasize the word defending itself because Israel did not start this war, nor did Israel want this war nor did Israel violate the ceasefire that they had on October 6th. And I'd like to also add, this whole thing could have been over if they simply surrender and release the hostages. The whole world's very, very quick to start condemning Israel. But when you ask them, okay, what about the hostages or what about the fact that October 7th did in fact happen, suddenly nobody has a better suggestion, but they're very quick to criticize Israel. 
Right. It's, well, that's why I keep making note that there are still hostages and there are still rockets being fired into Israel. There's a current war going on. It's like, you could end this right now. It could end while we are doing this show right now if Hamas mm -hmm. did what you just called out for. Uh, in a bizarre twist, the sanest Democrat in the Senate on this thing is John Fetterman. I cannot believe it, but here is John Fetterman talking about this ridiculous South African clown court. And now let's also talk about that. Now we're talking about genocide. And now South Africa now is now bringing that kind of a, a trial. Maybe South Africa being able to sit this one out when they're talking about criticizing. It's a weird world we live in. <laughs> Elon Musk saw that video, and here, Elon Musk, who is from Johannesburg, South Africa, that's right, he's an African-American, uh, he said he is right, talking about Federman. Ari, the, the Democrats have sort of lost their mind, at least from my position, when it comes to Hamas and everything happening with Israel and everything else. Federman is now the most moderate, sane Democrat. How did this happen? Yeah, it's kind of absurd and it's a mystery uh, when you look at exactly what he was campaigning on. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's a large portion of the Democratic Party that is now afraid of the progressives. And if you look at the approval rating that Fetterman has in, in his own district right now, I mean, it's nearing what, the high 70 percent? Uh, people clearly, especially the liberals right now, they look at Democrats like Fetterman and they see someone that is making sense. Uh, as opposed to looking at the squad and people that are calling for ceasefires. They've kind of been disassociating with those people recently. Also, Fetterman was clinically depressed and sort of, we all thought he was mentally ill while he was a progressive. Now he's become a moderate and seems like he can speak again and everything else. It's very bizarre. Maybe I wanna... he was mentally ill because he was a Democrat and now he's happier because he's found his truth. I'm not a scientist, but that makes sense to me. I want to show you one other thing related to all of this in San Francisco, the shithole of San Francisco, the woke, disastrous uh, city, once, once great city, even 10 years ago, known as San Francisco. Uh, the city council voted eight to three uh, to call for an end to this war and a ceasefire. And look at these. I may have to show you this video twice because you really need to focus in on these people. I just want everyone to look at it again. Can I speak over this one too? Just look at each one of these people. Every one of these people would be thrown off a building. Look at this freak and this weirdo and that gender queer nutbag. These people would all be killed by the people that they are celebrating. Emily, irony is truly dead, is it not? First, that baby, we need to call Child Protective Services to remove that baby from this. I'm gonna assume that's a woman by the way she looks. As soon Who's as possible. To say? B, I really think that this um, little party that they just threw has, in fact, freed Palestine. So I want to congratulate yeah. San Francisco yeah. for being the first city in the yeah. United States to free Palestine. Lastly, did they make sure to call Bibi and Hamas and demand a ceasefire now? Because they seem like they're celebrating that they've accomplished something. So I'd like to know what, in fact, they accomplished. Ari, what is it about progressives that they can watch their own cities crumbling? I mean, that's what's happening in San Francisco and Chicago and New York and Portland and Seattle. And they spend more time doing these ridiculous hearings uh, while, while they literally have drugs everywhere, crimes rampant, you can't park your car on the street and the rest of it. Like the disconnect between their own lives and what they think they're doing 7,000 miles away is extraordinary. 
Well, I think when you're in that kind of mind space, you're trying to probably fill the void of meaning in any kind of way that you can. And for a lot of conservatives in America, I mean, we have religion. And so we're focusing on religion, on family life. Whereas for a lot of progressives that have taken more of the enlightenment route and walked away from religion and a lot of them, which are atheists, I mean, when you live like that, you need to fill the void. And so they're going towards politics. They're going towards movements that are constantly changing from one to another, because it would be kind of boring to just believe the same exact thing and spend a whole year talking about something instead of having a, a current thing that rolls out on a monthly basis. And so this is the current thing. This is exactly what they're doing. They want to participate in it. It gives them meaning. Uh, it's completely wrong, but that's where I think it's coming from. Yeah, well said. The wanna, God, the God what Go ahead. Said. I think the reason most woke people are atheists is because believing in God means you have a belief that something's above you, something's more powerful than you and bigger than you. And this woke mob, they are so narcissistic that they need to make everything about them. Why is everything insulting to them? Why are their feelings hurt? And they're too narcissistic to believe that anything could be more important than them, including God. It just shows you how insane they are. I think you guys both have, uh, you're, you're both a little bit younger than me. Uh, do you think there's something generationally happening there? Is that partly because of the internet and that it's just blown apart everybody's brains and everything else that people have chose to believe just kind of what's in front of them than anything more eternal? Ari? I actually think that right now, like Gen Z, the, the younger cohorts of it that are growing up with uh, the social media and everything, uh, probably for the first part of their lives, they were looking at everything happening and they were still thinking that these uh, news sites and the social media and stuff is giving them uh, the truth. But I think they're becoming disillusioned really quickly and there's a break that's happening. So, for example, with uh, younger men and the boys, they're becoming conservative and they're mm -hmm. kind of rejecting everything that's going on and everything that's being fed to them. Meanwhile, for the girls, it's a little bit different. It's the opposite. But clearly there is uh, something in this generation where. I guess the older millennials that have adopted this wokeism to their hearts, uh, that it doesn't sit well with them. And I think they're gonna be looking for something that is more true. Emily, can you connect that a little bit to liberal Jews? I mean, a lot of liberal Jews, people that used to be friends with me that wrote me off years ago, I've gotten a lot of texts since October 7th suddenly going, Dave, maybe you weren't so crazy this whole time. Dave, I will never understand liberal Jews. In fact, last week I was fighting with a liberal Jew at Fox News who was telling me how, as a Jew, I should be voting for Biden. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, are you insane? If you care about the Jewish people's existence, Biden's gonna let that slip right through and there won't be an Israel or a Jewish people to be there to vote for the next Democrat. And she's just like, well, Trump's the worst answer. And I was like, okay, I don't understand liberal Jews. And honestly, it's kind of embarrassing to the non-liberal kind of God-believing, God-fearing Jews because they, they just twist everything to fit, like, again, that woke agenda. And going back to Gen Z, which is the worst of liberal Jews, they are the ones that lost the ability to think for themselves because of social media. If something's cool on TikTok, it's cool in person, too, and no one gives it any time or thought. And then secondly, the problem is, is like, we all know this, but TikTok is showing you exactly what they want to show you. And they're like mm -hmm. poisoning our youth and whatever they see, they're so quick to believe without actually indulging it to whether this is fact or fiction. And suddenly that becomes the reality. And then lastly, another thing that Gen Z, including myself, has grown up with is over catering to, I don't want to say over catering to feelings, but treating everything oversensitively. Like growing up, I was like, I don't want to play in gym. My gym coach is like too damn bad. Go run. 
today, if that happens, you don't want to run a gym. Oh, he's neglecting her mental health. Oh, he's racist. Oh, my God, he doesn't like Jews. And now he's fired. And that's why we're raising like the most sensitive, helpless generation of Gen Z that the world is now seeing. We can't function as adults. This is the next generation of voters. We're screwed. That's why I'm never sending my children out of the house until they're 18. They're gonna live in this house <laughs> till they're 18 and then I'm just gonna send them off into the world and we'll see what happens. Uh, let's shift over to that Biden guy who you mentioned uh, because obviously right now the main thing on people's minds uh, is this disastrous immigration situation where finally, thanks to the internet, as long as we have a semi-free internet, we're seeing these crazy videos of thousands of people pouring through our borders, oddly, mostly middle-aged, sort of fighting-age men, and not a lot of women and children. Uh, Peter Ducey asked Corinne Jean-Pierre about just that. High school in New York is having remote classes today because the building was needed to house people who came into this country illegally. So what is the president's priority in this case? Is it the migrants or is it the students? So let me just uh, just clear this up a little bit. Um, so yesterday, New York City informed us that as a precaution, uh, they would temporarily relocate migrants staying at Floyd Bennett Field to a nearby high school. As of this morning, all migrants have returned to the facility at Floyd Bennett Field. And so anything specific as to the program and what decided to do and all of the specifics to that, I would certainly refer you to New York City uh, for any additional questions. So to be clear, what happened was our government doesn't protect our border. We send these people to these sanctuary cities and states. They end up, the, the migrants, these 2,000 migrants, ended up at this field. The field was going to flood, so they temporarily moved them to a school. Apparently, they're back. But either way, this whole thing is illegal and immoral and everything else. Ari, these people, do you believe this is intentional, yes or no, by this government? Yeah, absolutely. It's a combination of it being intentional and has been for the past two decades. And now it's even more intentional by way of incompetence, really. Uh, a lot of liberals at the border that are in those border states and that have always been pro-immigration, even they're turning on this whole immigration uh, catastrophe that's happening right now because they can sense that even if the Biden wanted to have some kind of control over it, they don't. And it's just absolute chaos. There's no method to the madness. Uh, and it's quite scary for a lot of people that are living down there. It's scary now in almost every major city in mm -hmm. America that has these migrants. Uh, and if you go talk to these migrants directly, uh, they associate the Biden administration as the leader of America who let them into America that is going to uh, put them into the welfare state that's going to take care of them. And so really, there is this kind of uh, optimistic view that the migrants have of the Biden administration. And let's also be very clear that from day one, the Biden administration has been talking about amnesty. And so this is still a long-term goal. The Democrats are not going to let go of this. And so if you're looking a couple of years down the road, you're going to see uh, a lot more calls to give citizenship to everybody right now. And of course, they're going to reward the people that let them into this country, the people that gave yeah. them free cell phones, that gave them debit cards, uh, and really fed them for not contributing much to society here. Yeah. Emily, did you happen to see the video this week of AOC on Comedy Central basically saying that the, the solution to an undocumented immigrant problem is to just document them? I mean, he, that's that's exactly what Ari's bringing up. It's not that you do anything about it. You just actually document them. And congratulations, they're here. Well, did she say it on Comedy Central because she was joking or she was being serious? No, 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 no. She was being serious. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. The problem with that, as easy as that sounds, uh, genius congresswoman, is that we have no idea who these people are. We have, what was it, 720,000 people in the last two months crossed the border, and we have no idea 
let's be honest, if they are terrorists, if they are drug lords, if they are sex trafficking children across the border. I saw a video last night of so many children that were so heavily sedated while crossing the border, and no one gave a damn to even ask a question as to where they came from. This is who we are letting in our country. Now, I'm not saying there are no good people that are seeking refugee. Of course they are. So let's do this the right way. My grandparents came into this country legally. They did not sneak across a border and now get free health care, too. That would have yeah. been much easier for them, I'm sure. But why is this always America last? Why is Biden now putting our security in compromise for these migrants? Why are our students now being Zoom schooled because the migrants need our school as their facility? I was a Zoom student in college. That was the hardest thing. I did not learn a thing for two semesters, paying $60,000 a year to receive my education, and I was on Zoom. And now you're taking high school students that are the, arguably the most vulnerable students, and you're putting them home because you're putting the migrants first. That's America last. Well, a little bit of a silver lining, I suppose, to this is that good people, and there are some good people in some of these cities still, like New York and Chicago and elsewhere, are actually realizing that there's a problem on their hands. Check out this video from Chicago, uh, a black a uh, civic leader who most likely will be called racist by the end of today, uh, calling out the nonsense of allowing all the uh, illegals into his city. Politically, having over 500 people in our community would completely wipe out any interest we have. Are you aware that there are immigrant advocates at state houses all over this country who are, who are advocating for non-citizen voting in local elections? What if that happened here? That would change the mindset of what we, as a black community, need to thrive here in Chicago. That's a concern of ours. This is much bigger than the mayor of Chicago or Chicago Police Department. This is an effort to destroy our neighborhoods and silence our voices even further. While I do agree that it's bigger than the mayor of Chicago, it should be noted that the mayor of Chicago did want Chicago to be a sanctuary city, just like Lori Lightfoot before him. Ari, it's good to see people waking up. Like, this guy's like, uh, well, this is a problem, and we're not happy with the Democrats. That seems to be pretty good, right? Yeah, uh, just eight years ago, you had people like Bernie Sanders that actually had uh, a good way of thinking about immigration, and they realized the more people that they let into this country, the worse it is for American workers, the more opportunities there are for these massive corporations to find people that are just willing to work for less. And so throughout the 60s, 70s, you had classic leftism have the position that uh, migration on a scale like this is just terrible. And you used to have like the, the most hailed uh, activists on the left go down to the border when there were illegal migrants trying to go through and they would attack these people. And actually Biden has a bust of one of these people on his desk in the White House. Uh, so he's clearly turned away to the people uh, and how they thought, even those leftists back in the day. And I think that a lot of people actually will be changing their minds as soon as they see the complete shock here. There was a chance in America that all of this crazy migration chaos would have just been limited down to the border states. But when that all changed with Greg Abbott, uh, Greg Abbott that uh, decided to fly everybody and bus them to the sanctuary cities, he made the problem affect everybody the way that it should have been. Uh, and so he's changed the game here, and I think people are going to realize really soon uh, it's time for a change. Mayor Adams is now constantly fighting with the Biden administration. Uh, so is pretty much every mayor in, in the cities. They're trying to get more money so they can do something about this and really just put a stop to it. So, yeah, people are waking up right now. I think they're going to continue to.
I do have to give credit to my guy, Ron DeSantis, who did ship them out to Martha's Vineyard before Abbott was sending them up to New York and Chicago. Emily, do you think it's, it, is it cynical or just truthful that in a weird way, the Democrats are basically like, look, we have the black vote no matter what. They never break away from us. So why give them anything? Why not just ship a bunch of illegals into the black communities? They're going to vote for us either way. And congratulations. Then we'll document the undocumented and have even more voters. So as of two days ago, they do not have the young black vote, at least anymore, which is a perfect reflection of you are not safe in doing stupidity and thinking you're still going to maintain everyone's votes. Um, I'm glad people are waking up. I'm glad especially the black community and the Hispanic community are waking up because one thing Biden did very well was overpromise and underdeliver to these communities that you know are marginalized or experience a form of oppression, at least in their own mind in the United States. And they're waking up like Biden promised us a lot of things and he has given us nothing. So what incentive do they have to vote for him again if he's not doing anything? And that's probably why he's letting all of these migrants in, because like AOC stupidly said, they are probably going to grant them citizenship or at least voting rights. And these people, of course, are going to want to repay the people who let them into our country and vote for them because he sure as hell has not done anything for the black community, not done anything for Gen Z, not done anything for the Hispanic community, hasn't done anything great for America, truth be told. And nobody has any incentive but to vote for him. So this is now the Democrats' plan B. What do we do? We can't lose this election. Boom. Let's let the migrants in. They'll vote for us. Let's finish up talking about – go ahead, Ari. Yeah, there's one really important note to make there in that, like, if anyone should be concerned in America about the migrants, the black community should really be concerned because that the more migrants that come in here, the less the black vote matters. I mean, that's just a matter of uh, demographics in America Mm -hmm. and how electoral politics are played. So as soon as you have more of these uh, immigrants that are going to be voting, uh, a lot of these politicians that have made the backbones of their campaigns reaching out to the black community, they won't need to do that anymore. And that's going to be a really bad thing for the black community. So they're definitely uh, worried, and if they're not, they should be. Right, and if, if we're to believe that the black community needs social services more than rich white people, well, it's, the, it's their community that will be hit hardest when those social services are moved to other people. Uh, let's shift over to, to Joe Biden, though, because apparently he is gonna run again or something like that, or he's running again, or this sham is just continuing. He, he doesn't do many sit-downs. When he does, it's usually with Jill Biden. They never do anything live. It's always highly edited and everything else, but Dr. Jill Biden went on Mika Brzezinski's show on uh, the televised mental institution known as MSNBC for a little sit down to talk about her husband. And uh, we, we enjoyed this clip. So I see that strength and that resilience and that steadiness every single day. Wow. And he's unflappable. And when I look at the man, you know, his integrity, his character has not changed And he's unwavering. He's unflappable. And I think what people don't see is how hard Joe works every single day, that he gets up thinking what he can do for the American people. The best part of that, she goes, his strength, resiliency and steadiness. And Mika goes, wow, wow. Um, You think Joe could do an interview like that? where he could just speak off the cuff and not stumble and fumble and everything else? Like, are we just well past that point? And do you think they're just gonna hide him for the next year, Emily? Maybe his body double can. I know he sure as hell can't. He can't even walk straight anymore. She said Joe is unstoppable. One strong gust of wind is blowing him over. What are you talking about? And then B, why are you sitting there? It should be our president that's sitting there. 
And C, of course, this anchor did not um, follow up with any of Jill's claims, but me being a normal person with half of a brain cell would think, okay, uh, what has Joe done for this country? Just ask for an, one example. She's just stating the most broad statements that we know is not true. And she's not even coming back to her with any questions or any statements other than, wow, ask her a question. How does Joe put our country first? You know, she said, I mean, I just told, spoke about how America's last. It doesn't even feel like Joe is functioning as our president. And now Jill is trying to argue that he's the best president. It, it's just, it's very ironic to me. And it, like, we're smarter than that. Don't insult our intelligence. Ari, do you think a certain set of people want their intelligence insulted? I mean, I think that's kind of where we're at. Like, a, like clearly half the country, you don't have to be a Republican or a conservative or whatever, but if you're a Democrat right now, you know something's, every single person knows something's wrong with Joe Biden. That is not me being ageist or anything else. Something is not functioning. I don't know one 80-year-old or 81-year-old that has a full-time job, me personally. I have no doubt that some of them do and are highly functional and everything else. But I don't think he could run McDonald's for a day, and that's not a shot at a McDonald's manager. Yep. The polls show that everyone thinks that Joe Biden is way too old. Uh, and I always like to think about the fact that really him and Trump age-wise are not too far apart, but I mean, Donald Trump has more energy than I do. Uh, and so nobody's going around polling, well, is Donald Trump too old? People really don't feel that way. But when they look at uh, Joe Biden, and this is bipartisan, this is both Democrats and Republicans, they recognize the fact that, yeah, something is going on there. Uh, and they like to look at the people around him and try to rationalize, well, at least we hope that they know what they're doing. Uh, but as we've seen with the border, and we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, even the voters on the Democrat side don't think that any part of the Biden administration is competent anymore. Right. So, by as, the way, of course, I want to yep. add, I feel very bad constantly bashing Biden because in my eyes, he's an old man. I feel like if God forbid someone insulted my grandfather, I take it very personal. But at the same time, this old man is the president of the United States. And you shouldn't now, like a lot of Democrats argue with me, but Biden's such a great guy. Trump's not a good guy. I know a lot of great people that would not make great presidents, and him being a good guy doesn't qualify him to be our president. In fact, he's been the biggest pushover president, so maybe he's too much of a good guy, but not when it comes to the American people. So it's not about age, it's about effectiveness, and Biden, maybe because of the age, is just not effective as our president. Well, as a quote on quote- sword here. I wanted to mention real quickly before I move on from that, there's actually a, a lot of Democrat voters that will look at Joe Biden's age and they're going to associate him with the old school Democrats. And that's mm -hmm. like a really big strength for Biden going into 2024. Whereas younger people like Gavin Newsom that are totally associated with the progressive side of new Democrat politics that would really push a lot of voters away. People might look at Joe Biden and they might look at him and think that he's senile and might not be able to do his job, but at least they're not looking at him like a crazy Democrat that is pushing all of this crazy stuff. And that's not to say his administration isn't doing that, right. but that's just what they see when they look at him. I, that's a great point, actually, because I think that's, that's what's happening with a lot of people. Even though he is ushering in all of the woke lunacy, it couldn't, throughout the government, it just basically couldn't get more woke and crazy and leftist and, and psychotic. Somehow people think he's not like that, so that means something. But I wanna just show one other thing here because in that interview, you guys know if you're, if you're losing it, if people are not believing that he's capable and everything else, what do you have to do? You have to scare the hell out of everybody. What do you think when you hear Trump Republicans calling it the Biden crime family? Or uh, <laughs> I have one congresswoman, the Biden crime family sold out America, Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's a liar, he's mentally incompetent. Um, and let's not even talk about 
what let's go Brandon means, mm -hmm. but you have U.S. senators holding signs that say that. Biden it's hard to realize our country, isn't it? I mean, to look at it, what we used to have and um, what the other side, the extremists, have turned this country into. I mean, we would never see things like that, say, 10 years ago. No, no. Uh, we would never see people calling the president Hitler all the time and all of his supporters white supremacists. We'd never see that, would we, Emily? Absolutely not. I mean, first of all, the best part about America is the free speech. And for them to say, oh, we would never see that 10 years ago, maybe because 10 years ago, our country wasn't in a place that's as bad as it is today. And secondly, she said, let's not even go into let's go, Brandon, what that means. No, go into it. Tell us what it means. <laughs> right. Why are you, Joe Biden so said it himself. This? <laughs> Joe Biden has said it. It's so funny to me. I mean, I can't even take an interview like this seriously. I'm, I'm being serious right now because I know every single thing was verified 300 times. Yep. Every question was pre-approved 700 times. And it's so phony and fake. I don't even want to hear it. And it means nothing to me. Yeah, Ari, that's the other part of all of this, right? As a new media guy, like just watching these things, watching these debates now, watching these town halls, watching these interviews, it's just, it feels like we're just at the end of what old media was. It was good at some time. It was necessary. It was just growing as our technology grew, but something ain't working anymore. Yeah, I look at the corporate media now the same way I do as the Italian mob back in the day. Uh, they're just able to get away with murder constantly. <laughs> Uh, and uh, right now, <laughs> at least the like mafia the was cool and they ate good food. Right. right. <laughs> and if we're even looking at like all of the evidence that we have now on uh, Biden, the corruption in the family within Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the brothers, really, there's just so much evidence that we've had uh, that paints a very clear picture of what is happening and that there really was serious corruption going on. And the fact that the media has been able to really make it so that half of the country still, after multiple years, doesn't believe that any of that stuff is uh, true, well, it's really impressive and it's also really scary. Did this Got anchor it. bring up the fact that Biden's son is doing cocaine and they found cocaine in the White House or no? Um, I didn't Probably see the not, full right? interview, but I'm guessing it was not mentioned, the cocaine in the White House with the cocaine son. Yeah, so if we're not going to address, like, current events surrounding um, the president's son doing dealings with Russia and doing literal drugs in the White House, it might not be the most honest interview. Surely Mika would have treated uh, Donald Trump Jr. doing cocaine in the White House the exact same way, I, I would have imagined. Let me get, ask you guys one other yeah. thing. It was not scheduled, but uh, because Monday is the, uh, the Iowa caucus and people in our shoes love making predictions, uh, Ari, would you like to make a prediction about Monday? Yeah, I, first of all, I, I hate making predictions because everything that's happening right now is so unpredictable. But I would say that uh, it's probably gonna be Trump's game there. Uh, and then we'll see what happens afterwards. But my overall long prediction for 2024 is if the economy is working and it gets better, and it might because there's going to be a lot of Wall Street pushing over and changing interest rates to help Biden, then we might just see another Biden administration. Uh, if it doesn't, then it's totally Trump's game. Yeah, I, I sense the same thing if Trump is the nominee that we, we end up with Biden for a series of reasons. Uh, Emily, what do you think? I disagree with both of you. I mean, in terms of Monday, I think Trump is going to bring the show home. I think he's going to be the star of the show. I think his lack of media presence is now like starting to bring more attention to him. So it worked out to his benefit. Um, I think Vivek's going to like always talk a good talk. He's always really fun to watch, honestly. I really enjoy him. Um, I just don't think he will be the next president. I think it will be Trump. I don't know, even if our economy gets better, 
don't know if it'll get to the point that it was when Trump was in office. I think the woke mob is actually disgusting people and deterring people away from voting left. I know a lot of Jews, we're a very small percentage of the population, but a lot of Jews who are now saying, you know what, Emily, you had a point all these years. And I think people are starting to wake up. Why vote for something that, or someone who hasn't done anything for your country? And even if he fixes the economy that he broke, that's not enough of a reason to vote for him again. So I don't know. I think it's going to be Trump. I mean, it could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident. Well, if you're wrong, we will clip this and make sure the internet sees it. That's yeah. how it goes. <laughs> Emily Ari, I thank you guys. I'll definitely have you guys back. Really enjoyed this. And for everybody else, we've got a post-game show in about 30 seconds. RubenReport.Locals.com. Thanks for watching, everybody. I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules? Well, you've got to send them to jail, uh, you know. <laughs> There's that little box in there. Directly to jail? <laughs>